21 CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Education Vanguard, and I'm your host, Michael Bull. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of education and how to make some of those types of changes we need to make in education at larger schools. The future of work and the realities that it entails are still unknown to many of us. Multiple job and career changes are likely on the horizon for our students, and teaching them to be lifelong, adaptable learners today will help them in the future. Today, I speak with Anna Siever, Deputy Principal of Haleberry Middle School in Australia. We discuss various models for the future of education, along with how to evaluate and adapt those models as the times change and our understanding of education evolves. Enjoy the conversation. Anna Siever, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk about education and work and all those good things. And we'll start with, what does the future of work look like, do you think? I think this is a really difficult question for us uh, to answer. And I know a lot of people are doing a lot of work into this. And actually, I've just given all of my staff uh, Industry 4.0 by Klaus Schwab from uh, the World Economic Forum to have um, a look into what the future looks like, what are the policies we need in order to be able to support that. And I think... um, You know, we need to be really careful about how we um, project the future and things like automation, globalization are really changing um, the nature of what work will look like. We also know that in Australia, we have the Foundation for Young Australians doing some wonderful work on the new work reality. And they're saying now more than ever before, young people need access to relevant high quality education and learning systems that reflect and respond to the changing and diverse needs um, and those of the economy. So a really interesting time uh, to be alive. So it's hard to predict what it will look like. And that, of course, turns to education. How do we or what sort of model should we adopt in a school do you think fits best for this future that we have coming before us? So Halebury is a highly academic school and we we fundamentally believe in the core skills. So I don't think we should ever deviate uh, away from teaching numeracy and literacy right down to early learning. But we also need to be thinking about those 21st learning skills. And I think, you know, that banter goes around a lot, but actually look like. So mm-hmm. things like financial literacy, digital literacies, problem solving, critical thinking, how people collaborate with each other. These are all things that education has tried to do, but I think now more than ever before, we need to be explicit in teaching those things in creative and different ways to allow our students to be successful in the future. So when you're thinking about ways of doing that, what like what would be a mo- or an example that you would hope to see in a classroom or a school that would encompass the things that you're talking about? So uh, we're going down um, the path of learning pods. So students uh, sign themselves up to particular pathways that they would like to uh, work on. So we might have an aviation learning pod, for example, and students in that, uh, they would do their drones um, license, their pilot's license, and then they, we you know we're also sending things to NASA. So through that lens of aviation, they're using all of those different skills to problem solve, to be creative, to be financially literate. So how do we get things into space? How do we market those things? Um, and so we're going to have a number of different pods that students can sign themselves up to in order to be able to um, develop those skills in a different way that they might not have done before. 
Okay, so those pods sound like a blast, of course. It's a, a ton of fun for students. Is that Are those ideas that they come up with, or does the staff come up with them uh, for them? Yeah, so really important, we have student voice. So last year we ran a middle school review. So our middle school runs from year five to year eight. And we started that off uh-huh. by calling for volunteers of staff that would like to be a part of that. And I thought we might get five or ten. We ended up with 72 staff. So what we did... Oh. Um, <laughs> Out of 73 or...? <laughs> no, we, we are a staff of 700 here, so a large school. Oh, you're huge. And okay, yeah. Huge. And so um, we what we did with them was we ran um, a, an exercise, an innovation workshop, and out of that we asked them what they would like to keep, chuck, add or change with the view of the future of work and um, what our students would need in, in order to be successful. And then part of that process was next to talk to our students. So what would they keep? What would they add? What would they chuck? What would they change? And out of mm-hmm. that um, workshops and talking to parents, we came up with 21 different review groups that our staff would sign themselves up to and work with students in order to propose what they think the school should do in the f- So um, we will move on every single one of those proposals. So the teachers themselves had to do a mm-hmm. pitch night where they pitched their ideas uh, to the senior executive and the wider school community. And then they mimicked what Amazon do. They produced a white paper uh, and from that, uh, the principal sat and went through different ideas that we wished to adopt all the while making sure student voice was in that. So, for example, students wanted a real focus on enterprising and entrepreneurial skills. And so next year, we will have a um, entrepreneurial subject in year eight where students use the lean startup approach to develop enterprising and mm-hmm. entrepreneurial skills. And then in year nine, they'll have a social entrepreneurship uh, subject that they can choose as an elective, but we're going to do it in year eight as a core. So every single student develops those fundamental skills that we know they're going to need in the future. Okay, so you have these great things happening. Uh, and it sounds like a good chunk of the staff jumped on board. So, I mean, these ideas are, are fun and interesting and new. How does the community itself, and that would be you know, students, I imagine, like it, teachers sound like they like it, but the parents as well, how does the community uh, react to these kinds of ideas? So this is the journey that we're, we're starting on now is communicating carefully with our community about what it is that we want to see. We, as I said, are a highly academic school and when um, parents send their kids here, that is a core component of what we're after and we will never, ever lose sight of the importance of that. So now it's about bringing them on the journey that the importance of these particular skills in the future. And we're also lucky that a lot of our parents are very aspirational. They want the best for um, their students and they can see the value in this. We, um, you know, in Australia, we have lots of conversations around the future of work. Melbourne itself is becoming a very innovative city. And so uh, the conversation is greater than our school. Um, but you need to be able to carefully articulate that so as to make sure that what they've invested in uh, is still being delivered. Now, uh, academics and international schools is, is, it also tends to be at the forefront a lot. If you look at you know, the websites or talk to leaders, they talk about academics and test scores and those things quite a mm-hmm. bit. Yet you're innovating at the same time. And you know, at first my thought might be, well, how can we do things like pods and all that and the students still learn the specific things they need for some test? Is it, is it possible to put the two things together and not have them conflict? Like, what would you tell a, a leader that comes up and says, yeah, that sounds like fun, but I've got academics i got to deal with? 
so it's an interesting question and I think it's where you find the time to do these sorts of things. So we we obviously have our academic day that students participate in particular things and then there's times in the day that you can capture uh, to be able to run these um these different things and it's volunteering it's students volunteering their time uh, to to do it but also for example how many lessons a week do you need to teach science or should we really be Mm -hmm. teaching science when students can find that information elsewhere or and is it more a question of how we deliver these particular subjects in order to get students better prepared so I think it's really important to, to Think about traditional schooling. How can we make small steps to change that, to innovate and to put time into these other skills? But we will never, ever touch our maths and our English, our core skills. That time always needs to be given because we know that raises a number of different things within the school, but also for the greater community and you know the country as a whole. So you've got to work out you know, what it is that your community values, what it is that's important for your students, but what things, and I'm a science teacher and I love teaching science, um, but uh, what yeah. ways can we do that to maximise the time? Um, you know, instead of delivering content, is it more around the ways in which we teach or what students are doing within within that subject? Um, and do they need as much time as they currently have in order to be able to deliver on what it is that we're prioritising? So you're going along, uh, in a sense, this pathway of, of new ways of teaching. Do, do you feel like you're, you've got it now, you understand what to do, and you could just replicate this model all over the place? Or do you feel like maybe you're at a different point in the path where you still have a lot of learning to do? I think learning is lifelong and that, um, you know, we're very much at the beginning of our journey. And Halebury is a school that looks outwards and, um, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of people, um, a lot further down the journey than we are. Um, We spend a lot of time having conversations within Australia, a lot of time having conversations with um, businesses, with universities, talking about micro-credentials and the future of what universities will look like. Uh, We are travelling over to the States um, later this year to have a look at a number of different business organisations but also a number of different schools who are doing really interesting things. So I think um, learning, as I said, has to keep evolving and that we know we're going to make a number of different mistakes along the way. Um, But I think that's what we want our students to know, that that is okay, that you pivot um, and you innovate again and you find a different way to do things. But in the end, that whole process allows you to be a successful organisation. Okay, so you know, you've talked a lot about startup models, for example, lean startup and those sorts of things. And you talked about how afterwards you've reflected on uh, the learning you've done to see how it goes. And in the startup world, there's, you know, these metrics, usually it's like sales, for example. Is it possible to have a metric that is going to show or tell you whether what you're doing is successful for the students? Or can we only get anecdotal evidence based on our reflections? It's a really interesting question because we're also going on a data analytics journey at the moment because I think that you know granular feedback and understanding of our students will also add value. I think sure. that's something that we need to nut out as an organisation. So what will it look like if we are successful in this? I think, um, yes, there's a whole heap of anecdotal evidence 
that we will be able to see the conversations we're having, um, you know, if it's valued by our community. But also I think it's when the students mapping their pathway after they leave school. So we always look at university entrance, but what is happening to our students? What sort of pathways are they choosing thereafter? So there's a number of like big corporates in Melbourne uh, who are taking on students before they even get to university and saying, we don't want you to go to university anymore. We want you to come to us. We're going to do a higher apprenticeships program. Program, and we're going to train you in the in the world of work um, because the future is changing and we don't necessarily think you need a university pathway in order to be successful with us. Um, that's not to say university is not really important. Say if you wanted to be a doctor, there's definitely a number of things that you need to learn in order to be successful in that profession. So I think mapping students' sure, pathways yeah. for a longer period of time after they leave the organisation is going to be really important, particularly because, you know, things... There's a lot of research to say that there'll be job clusters and that, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but maybe it's 10 different jobs um, that um, mm -hmm. our students today will have in the future. So that longitudinal... All, all at the same time, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. They might have so like two or three at the same time. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then 10 different professions over their, their lifetime and not staying in the same job for 20 years, for example. I've got a, that's something I've thought about, so maybe you can help me with this question. So, you know, you're familiar, of course, with the adoption curve, and just for the benefit of listeners, you have, you know, the early adopters, which I'm going to guess is you, and then you have, you know, the middle adopters, and then towards the end, the late adopters are people who don't mm. adopt stuff at all. A startup culture always leans to the left of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people who want to adopt early. Does that mean that only that small group's ever going to do significant change, or do you think significant change will happen along the way? And the other question is, then, will somebody like you on the early adoption phase always be looking for the next thing? Are you talking about uh, Halebury as an organization, or do you mean education as a whole? Just education as a whole. So it's just somebody who's listening, and they're thinking about their organization. Well, I think if, if we start with, say, Halebury, for example, we are a huge organisation, 700 staff in our Melbourne school. And my thoughts around were that we, you know, we needed to make a change. Um, that was evident. But how do you get that change to happen and bringing your staff along for the journey? So I could have stood at the front and said, these are all the changes that we're going to make. But instead, we shifted mm -hmm. ownership to our staff to come up with the ideas and the solutions uh, and got them to invest in the journey. So when we decided to adopt things, the change management piece was much, much easier because the staff themselves and the students had decided on what that would look like. So I think if you scale that, then that, you know, as, you know, educational organisations, you know, I... I'm part of a number of different bodies and we have these conversations all the time. And I think the more conversations we're having about this, the more we will shift education forward. And, you know, there's lots of wonderful videos you can watch on that education is one of the only things since the Industrial Revolution that has not changed. And I think, yes, there's a place mm -hmm. for traditional, you know, English and math, but what can we do with all the other things? And I think it's a slow burn, but I think we'll get there. And I think there's lots of impetus for change. And, um, you know, the university sector will be disrupted and micro-credentials are becoming, you know, much more prevalent. So I think... Um, it's a very interesting space in the next 10 years. And I, I obviously have, a, uh, you know, I'm studying my MBA and I have a lot of interest in the business world, but I think that education can learn a lot from being, dare I say it, a little bit more agile in the way in which we deliver things. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit agile would mean uh, 
A school, the schools in education are so conservative by their very nature, interestingly. Yes, yes. So, so I, Anna, so what got you involved in this? I mean, there's different pathways you can take as an educator, but you're taking the road not necessarily the easiestly traveled. So what decided, what pushed you to go along this way? That's a really interesting question. I'm not sure if I've reflected on that uh, before. I think it's because it's a passion of mine to provide our students with every opportunity possible to be successful and, and that they are our next generation. That's the world we're going to live in and they're going to drive that. And so I think, you know, I'm absolutely passionate about every student matters every day and that, you know, that they have the right skills, uh, attitudes um, and endeavours necessary to to be successful. And that's that's what we owe it to them. Um, and I know that my um, my wonderful boss spoke about this year around um, the fact that that love is willing um, somebody else to do well to the good of another. And this wonderful article in um, the New York Times about teaching and the importance of developing strong relationships with your students and, and that relationship allows them to be successful in the subject that you teach, but much more broadly than that. And I think that's our job mm. as educators. And if I dovetail that with my um, interest in um, the business world and innovation and and seeing the benefits of being able to think in that way and to be resilient, and I think these skills allow students to be resilient, we know that that's the backbone of allowing them to be successful. Uh, Anna, we're coming towards the end of our time here, and kind of traditionally I like to ask a future-oriented question, and, and I'd like to ask you to look out five, ten, or more years, and do you think if we were to talk again, have this podcast again at that time, that I could ask you, hey, you got a model that's pretty much working that we should all use? What might be your response to that? Wow. Such an interesting question. I think... You're supposed to say uh, yes. Yes, I'll have it all fixed by then, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll have... Uh, and, you know, what I think is right today is probably not right tomorrow, and I think we need to be okay with that and that we make mistakes. Um, you know, that that's a really difficult question to answer because we don't know what the world will look like in, in 10 years' time, but I think if we put our hand on our heart always when we're making a decision and saying that we're making it in the best interest of the students in front of us, then we're making the right decision. Um, and I think as long as we keep reading, we keep um, talking with a whole heap of people outside of education, and if we, you know, go across the world to see different models, then then we have to be able to get it right by working together um, as a as a group of individuals that are invested in the success of our our young people into the future. Anna Siever, thanks so much for your time and sharing your views today. Thank you so much. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.